0: don't worry about what anybody else is thinking or saying because you are who you are you're in your own unique space and 20 years from now it's going to be even better than you've ever imagined
1: welcome to another episode of the burnt chef journal hosted by myself chris hall the founder of the burnt chef project this week's guest is eric love who joins us all the way over from brooklyn in new york to give us his perspective from front of house and general manager point of view, uh, and also talks to us from his experience of training as a meditation coach as well. It's a great conversation with different parts of the world. So I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Landwesterner, your partner in potatoes, we're a leading global frozen potato manufacturing business with a wealth of experience in offering a portfolio of high-end and quality products on a consistent basis. We supply the pub, casual dining, QSR sectors. We believe in well-being through potatoes and we are very proud to support the Burnt Project, here to offer our support and help for those that need it and any solutions that you need for you and your business. Eric, thank you ever so much for joining me this morning. Of course, thanks for having me. It's an incredible opportunity.
0: I'm very excited.
1: Thank you. And so you're joining me all the way over from America. Can you tell the listeners exactly where you are, please?
0: Yeah, of course. I live in Brooklyn, New York, on the East Coast of the US.
1: Nice. And it's twelve o'clock midday here, but it's uh, it's a lot earlier for you. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. It's uh, it's eight a.m. here. Great. So thank you ever so much for getting up uh, getting up and uh, and hitting this with me first thing in the morning. So, Hundred <laughs> percent. It's I mean, there's a, as I've sort of explained briefly, this, this whole podcast is just about you know getting to know individuals, talking about their journeys, and trying to provide some inspirational content as well for those who may be in similar positions. But can you explain to listeners who may not have come across you before, or don't know who you are, um, just sort of explain a little bit your journey into hospitality and sort of where, where you started, really? Absolutely. So um,
0: I've been in the hospitality industry for about 20 years. Originally, I was a pianist and I was a singer and, um, you know, the infamous, how am I going to make money? (laughs) So I was like, you know, I loved cooking. My grandmother um, cooked. I cooked with her for every single holiday, you know, all that kind of jazz. So I was very inspired by her. My mom was in a good cook, but not as not as good as my gramps. So um, she inspired me and I just decided to hit up culinary school. So um, I went to the Culinary Institute of America in Hyde Park, New York. And um, before that, I needed to gain some experience. So I worked in a couple different restaurants over a year. Um, in order to get into the CIA, you have to, or you had to, at my point, had to have six months of experience prior. So doing that, went into hospitality, got into the restaurant industry, and I just kind of never looked back. That was in 2000 and, oh God, one, two, 2005, five? Four, 2004. Um, So I started there, and then um, I went, after culinary school, I went back to my old job in New Jersey. And, um, I worked for legal seafoods for ten years. Um I started as a host and then worked my way all the way around. I worked in the kitchen, I worked I, up to bartender, I was manager, front of house um and then after that, um I was like, "You know, I'm kind of ready for for something more." So I went into the city and um New York City. And I worked at The Modern for a year. After that, a very dear friend of mine, who also taught me how to bartend, uh, gave me a call. And was like, hey, we have a bartending position open for you. Please apply. And because it was in the same company, I was like, absolutely. So I spent uh, seven years at Gramercy Tavern. I was a a bartender and a floor manager. And then from there, um, I decided to go more towards the bartending side of things because I really missed kind of like cooking. Um, I mean, I was a bartender at Grammar's Tavern, but I wanted to develop my skill more and understand how to run a program that was my own. So I went to Olmsted in Brooklyn. I worked there for a year and, um, really cut cut my chops and really, uh, was able to delve into inventory and setting up my own systems and all that kind of stuff. So that was, that was very fun. Um, after that, um, right, and currently I'm at Fausto in Brooklyn. Um, started as a bartender server, and then uh, now I am the general manager since July, uh, beginning of the pandemic and the lockdown here. So that was an interesting experience, and I've definitely learned a lot. Um, and that's just kind of where, that's where it all began and where I went.
1: That's amazing. So how many? How big is your team currently that you look after?
0: So we have two servers, one maitre D, a bartender, and then um, we have our beverage director, who's the owner. And then we also have uh, our executive chef, who's also owner. And she has one, two, three, four, five, six, seven people under her. So very small. We also only have nine tables currently.
1: <laughs> oh, so, wow
0: yeah it's pretty crazy it's pretty crazy for a um, 134 seat restaurant we can fit a max of it's 35% so like 38 people Um, and then we're supposed to be going up to 50% this coming week so we're trying to make some moves to get some more seats in there
1: it's going in the right direction it's encouraging I mean we're mid-march now and this episode will probably air but later on in you know, beginning of May um, and by then hopefully uh, some of our outdoor dining will be open but over in the UK we haven't got we haven't got any internal seating allowed until May really
0: wow that's wild madness wild Absolutely. wild wild it is
1: and how have uh, how have you been over this period of time in terms of not not I mean now that you're back it's it's. I suppose it's better but you know up until then <laughs> it's a complete change hey
0: yeah Oh yeah, 100%. You know, it's a, it's, I mean, even from the beginning, talk about anxiety inducing, like it's, it's been, it's been very different. I'll tell that it's been, it's been a very uh, interesting journey because I really feel like this entire lockdown has forced people to um, really go inward and face a lot of things. I mean, when you sit in a room by yourself for a year, you know, you're locked down, you, you don't you can talk to people, of course, you can pick up the phone, but it's different when you have human interaction. It's different when you have that energy around you, you know, uh, lucky enough, I have a partner who I live with and we have really muddled through it and with no fights, which is, I'm very excited about. Um, but you know, the, the year has helped me change in a very positive way. I mean, it was a very, um, horrible thing that we all went through you know it's traumatic it's a it's a very traumatic experience and to delve into your own personal um boundaries is is has been like really what it's been for me as far as the restaurant industry is concerned you know teaching people that it's okay to not be okay in a way and, you know, knowing that the rest, like who knew if the restaurant was going to survive? Who knew if I was going to have a job in, in six weeks? And, you know, we were uh, we were shut down for four months. So, you know, unemployment was a thing. Again, just hanging out. But, you know, when I got the call to ask if I could go back and help, I was like, absolutely, please get me out of my house. So going back and, you know, helping build something different to try to set us apart from what we were before and how do we reach people to make them feel comfortable enough to even just order out or come pick up like where it's such a close everybody's so close here in new york and you know it, it was definitely a trial it was definitely a trial but light at the end of the tunnel a lot of people are getting vaccinated the a lot of us as restaurant uh, workers the vaccination i've been vaccinated um it's it's definitely light at the end of the tunnel for us definitely light at the end of the tunnel but just got to keep moving forward
1: it's interesting to be able to speak to you because it's you know it's almost like being able to travel forward in time and get a, mm-hmm. a, a insight into what we we can expect and again unfortunately this episode won't won't air until you know some restaurants with outside space have opened but you know in terms of so there's two questions that I have for you. In terms of staff, you know, how have your staff been with um, the return in terms of general anxieties, in terms of space, in terms of wanting to work or not wanting to work? How's that, how's that been for you and, and for them?
0: You know, um, creating a support system of whatever anybody needed at, at a given time is necessary. You know, when the first day we opened, uh, reopened, I should say, in October – um, I had a full staff of, well, full staff of still two, two servers and a bartender and a matre d'. Or no, I'm sorry, one server, a bartender and a matre d'. And our bartender at the time had a baby, a bar- brand new baby. And being around people who, one, either didn't believe in it, in the pandemic as a whole, or people that were like, oh, I'm in a restaurant, I'm safe, I can, I they have all of these precautions, they're wiping everything down, you know, we're six feet away from other people, I can just take off my masks, with complete disregard for us, as, as hospitality people. So, watching them, it gave him a lot of anxiety and started to worry about his kid. And that day, we opened at 5.30, that day, 7 o'clock, he's like, I can't do this. And I'm like, okay, you know? <laughs> That's fine. It It is what it is. And I, you know, there's zero judgment. It is a crazy time. You need to do what's good for you. And that's how I, even before that, that's how I led as a manager, as a whole. You know what I mean? If you are not comfortable, I'm not gonna fight you. That's that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. So he ended up leaving. And um, a month later, we ended up closing again anyway for, for uh, indoor dining. And um, we just reopened again about a month after that. So, you know, as far as our staff is concerned, I think that after the vaccinations have, now that the vaccinations have really like ramped up, our entire um, staff, front of house and back of house, will be fully vaccinated by the end of the month. And there's definitely a sense of relief that comes, um, knowing that you're a little bit more protected, even though everything about it is completely unpredictable from the vaccine to the virus itself. Who knows? But um, at first, too, like our staff was a little standoffish. It was a little, it was a little weird, and trying to just figure out how to interact with other people, not just guests, but each other, and um, create, like I said, creating that support system for them to flourish as best as they can, and give them whatever they needed at a given time. You know, you just you had to do it.
1: Yeah, I mean, psychological safety is a is a term that we're hearing more and more. And over here in hospitality, we're looking at uh, producing something with some American counterparts actually um, to try and educate people on to what to expect when coming back, and uh, so psychological safety, spatial spatial awareness, you know, all yeah. of these sort of things that we perhaps took, take for granted. But you know, you watch TV now and you'll see a program from two years ago where everyone's having a party, and then instantly you're like, you know, you feel. You feel slightly anxious. they like, shouldn't be that close. And this right. is all. This has all sort of been now bred into us. And it's a case of actually being able to identify that people have different thresholds and navigating that. Which is, as you said, you can. You you've done already, and you've had to do. I mean, generally, the the feeling from the staff was it positive coming back? Were they all looking forward to getting back into the business?
0: I think that they were looking forward to seeing each other in a. Um a safe space. You know what I mean? With all of the regulations coming down from New York state and the government, all that kind of stuff at the time, you know, we, we had to build a space, you know, wiping everything down, making sure everybody um, is wearing masks, wearing gloves, all that kind of stuff to really, really make not just us, but the guests feel safe. So um, in that, when everybody came back they were it was literally like, I wish I could hug you. I wish I could just, you know, not leave this space for a little while because just being, like I said, being around other people, I think it, it really helped the mental aspect of it as well. And each other, especially since we already had prior relationships, um, it helped ground that nervous energy.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: And how have the customers been with it? Um, they've been good. Actually, They huge support, huge, huge support from so many different people. Um, I mean, it's also so many different levels since the pandemic. So many people have left New York city, um, the housing market and the rental market and the sales market skyrocketed. It was at like 20% vacancy in the city and that's, it's crazy. So, experiencing that we're getting a very large influx of first-time guests of new guests and we are hypothesizing that's either from people moving out and other people moving into that space because the rents have gone down or um you know people are venturing out uh, out because they're ready it's like especially now i feel like people are starting to go stir crazy it's been winter it's been cold outside nobody wants to go out but they just want to be around they want to they want to feel that experience again they want to feel taken care of because i mean have we felt taken care of this past year ish (laughs) so um i think that guests have are just ready people are ready to be able to experience restaurants again and experience food again and experience the experience of what hospitality can provide You know, it's I've always I've always viewed restaurants as like a sanctuary, even before the pandemic, like people would come single diners at the bar, sit by themselves because maybe they just didn't want to be home. They didn't like their roommates. They didn't they needed to like shut off. And it's still I still think that it's even more important for people to feel safe and for people to feel like they have a place to come to.
1: That's well said. I mean, we often hospitality means so much to so many different people, and you know, it is that safe space. It is that environment away from home. It's that place where you can come and feel like you're part of something. Uh, and even if you're just an observer, it's it has so many uh, healing and beneficial properties. That yeah, yeah. You know, I think it's only you know we've always taken it for granted. I think as customers in hospitality, but certainly being without that space now and that environment and around those people makes you realize how much we miss that community and how much you know as a as a member of the public visiting a space like that how much they, you just you just yearn for even if it's sitting at the bar with a pint or sitting down with a coffee or you know experiencing the full full service that hospitality has to offer it's um yeah you sort of yearn for it now
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I, I've noticed, too, there's a deeper appreciation for what we provide. And it's allowed us to have a, not a louder voice, but a, um, I guess, a more respected voice. Because, you know, resta- restaurant industry people are always asked, well, what else do you do? And it's like, well, this this is this is who I am. I'm here. I'm here. And I accept that I am of service to other people. And that is okay. You don't have to have something else, because it is an important industry to be in. Yeah, massive. Yeah.
1: I was having a conversation the other day with a, a business owner over uh, over in England, and he was saying that hospitality doesn't just provide a a space, and we're in service of others, and you know we we're here to in, to leave someone with a more enriched life than they had when they left, or you know, but also it provides so much more to the overall economy in the industry such as it provides employment opportunities for those in retail that might not be working anymore and it provides a gateway for people who um, you know want to come in to try something that has such a broad scope and possibilities from college or from university and not to mention the knock-on effect that it has also with producers and suppliers and all of this other stuff and I really do believe that hospitality is you know and it perhaps I was a bit naive at this stage, but hospitality is the life force of the country, really. I mean, it's it's so critical. Um, yeah. So, so critical. Yeah. So in terms of mental health, I mean, in, in your own words, what does the subject of mental health mean specifically to you? Um, Man, that is a that is a hard question to answer
0: <laughs> because I mean, it's changed. It's honestly changed over the past uh, couple years. Um, there was a time where I thought I had everything figured out and um, who I was and all that kind of stuff. But I started to see a therapist and that every, every week or every, yeah, every week that I, I spoke to her, my idea of, of, mental awareness and mental health changed because that is, it's so important to understand what you need as a human. Nobody, like nobody else matters. Like you are the last human on earth. What, what, what do you need for your own mental health? Self-care was non-existent for me. And alone time was non-existent for me. And sometimes working in this industry, you're around people so much. You're giving yourself to other people that you need to have that alone time. You need to have that self-care. Being aware that sometimes after that shift at night, you go out for that one drink that turns into five and then you don't sleep. And then the next day it just compounds not getting caught in that as well so you know your mental my mental health is literally being able to stay as present as possible and knowing that the self-care is there when i need it because i provide it for myself and knowing that the judgment of other people it doesn't matter as long as i love and do what i do out of my core.
1: Yeah. I think it's, it's, that's, that's profound. It's, um, I think this whole situation has forced a lot of us to look at, look at ourselves and look at what we do. And I guess, you know, certainly from you're you're officially the first front of house uh, sort of person that we've had on, on this podcast, which I'm pleased about because let's let's face it, mental health doesn't impact, you know, it's not specific to any one you know, gender or employment um, role, it doesn't make, it doesn't, it doesn't discriminate in that respect. Um, yeah. So the Burn Chef project really does want to sort of like, you know, make that make that clear that whether you're front of house, back of house operations, whether you're housekeeping, whether, you know, you're a supplier, you know, it's here here for you. But I mean, from, from your perspective, obviously coming out of that busy front of house environment where you're putting the face on, you're speaking to customers, you're managing staff, and also you're surrounded by alcohol. Do you find that you've perhaps reevaluated the way that you look at your relationship with with self care now, and you know, perhaps even your relationship with stress?
0: Oh, a hundred percent. The whole idea of, like you said, putting on that face is a really great way of explaining it because being in front of people when so as a bartender you are in your little box it's like being on a line you have your box and you have your me's and you're you're doing all of what you need to do however as a bartender you also have your guest facing right so i am you're sitting there and you're shaking a cocktail and you get asked a question and you lose your train of thought. And then all of a sudden, that top shaker, that top (laughs) shaker just pops off and there is drink all over the bar. People, things, you know, how to handle that, how to handle that stress, how to handle that thought of like, what if this happens? How to handle the, the, what if I, what if this person doesn't realize that they're drinking too much? What if this person tries to leave without paying? All of which has happened Hmm. to not just me, but many, many, many people. Um, You know, I've found, I personally found meditation. I I found yoga. Um, I've worked with energy medicine before. I've worked in um, holistic healing, many, many modalities. I started teaching meditation, you know, I, I found comfort and I found ease in a space where I don't allow that fear and I don't allow allow that anxiety to take over. Um, for me, I don't know why, but I've always had such um, a fear of really drunk people. I don't know. It's it is it is what it is, and. My anxiety starts to come up, and I'm like, how do I handle this? How do I handle not only myself, but these people? So there's this weird inner battle that happens, and I'm like, I I, I need to go. And then my, flight or, my fight or flight pops up. So I found that me personally, meditation has been able to help me stay present and know that our minds create the emotion, and the emotion creates the body response, so it's a somatic response, and my chest gets tight, my heart starts to race, I start to sweat, you know, it's it's a nervous reaction, it is what it is, but um, understanding that you're creating that for yourself, no, nobody else is doing it for you, you're literally in your own body, nobody, unless you're in immediate danger. You're creating that for yourself. So, how do you get past that? So Mine was meditation. You,
1: and how did you, how did you, when did you find meditation? Is it recently or have you always done it?
0: No. So, uh, long story short, um, as a kid, I was always a very sensitive person, um, sensitive to other people, sensitive to their emotions, their other feelings, and whatnot. And um, that led to many anxiety attacks as a kid from grade one to grade 12 every day before school i would throw up why because i was nervous as hell and still unexplained don't really know i was bullied a little bit in high school a little bit before that we also had a move so i lived in staten island new york until i was 10 and then we that was about fourth grade and then we moved to new jersey and then after that, it was a whole different board, ball game. And it was also during the time. So fourth, fifth grade is like kind of when we already established our groups, we've established who our friends are, we've kind of established who we are as people. Um, of course, we continue to learn every year about that. But, you know, for me, I didn't have anybody, I, I came from a very um, uh, diverse background in in where I lived. And um Moving into where I did in New Jersey, it was very different. It was very, like, white, if you will, Um, with a little bit more money where I I was going. So the school system was great, everybody was great, but I was bullied because I was different. I I came from a different place, I acted a little differently, I have a little bit of an accent, you know, moving from Brooklyn, all the uh, Staten Island, all these kinds of things. And I had to f- make my own safe space. So I found that in video games, honestly. I played a lot of video games, I watched a lot of TV, found it in food, you know, food is very big in my family. Um, it, was a, it was a sense of comfort. And as I got older, I knew something was different. I knew something was up and I was like, what, why? What, what is this? Why, why do I, you know, have anxiety going to school? Why, um, being a pianist too and, and, a, and a, a singer, Woke list I, I threw up every time I had a performance because I was I was nervous So I had to I I knew I had to find a difference I, I in myself. I knew that I needed to change in a more positive way So I started with yoga um, I was 15 and I bought like Rodney Yee's DVD box set Whatever it was and I was doing it in my basement um, twice a week and I I started to feel better you know, you, you started the classes just kind of like sitting and breathing and, and being present in yourself. And when you are present in yourself, you're not judging anything. You're just allowing thoughts to come in and just go. It's different than when you're sitting there and you're feeding into that anxiety and it just bounces all over the body. It just manifests itself in a physical way. So yoga came. Um, I started to meditate a little bit, but I, it didn't really resonate with me at the time. Um, and then, after culinary school, I started working at the um, restaurant in New Jersey, and I found a friend, Melissa, who uh, taught me about Qigong, which is um, kind of like Tai Chi, but it's a little bit more energy based. It's it's a walking meditation, and you're able to really ground into yourself while doing some very slow movement. Um fell in love with it and I was like, this is amazing. So I started to incorporate that into my into my practice. So I found myself seeing the physicality and the mental coming together, right? Um, so fast forward to um, Gramercy Tavern. I was like, you know, I started to get burnt out. Personally, I was exhausted, worked many hours. I was like, do I want to do this forever? Is this something that I'm I'm comfortable with? Started questioning my own life choices. Like I love the restaurant industry, but do I want to do this forever? Can my body handle it? Probably not. So I started to you know, what's next? What am I going to do? So I ended up getting my yoga teacher training um, over the course of six months at a, a spot in um, the Upper West Side, and it was that was a profound experience for me because I was like, okay. So, here's here's my six months of yoga teacher training. I had been practicing yoga since I was 15. Do I really want to teach this? You know, after learning all that I did in that time, I was like, okay, how am I going to convey my experiences through yoga? And I was definitely not ready to teach anybody anything because I also didn't want to hurt anybody. Yoga can be dangerous. Standing on your head, standing all, all over the place, so I took time off of that. I was I just started delve into my own practice, and breath work came in, and um, meditation started to really ramp up again. I was like, okay, this I can I kind of understand this, and it was almost like I opened up a floodgate into something that we possess that I didn't know, you know. So um, fast forward to. I think it's about three years ago now. Um, I started to do Wim Hof method, which is you know cold exposure, breath work, um, sitting and meditating. Changed my life, and I was like, "What is this? This is this is the coolest thing I've ever done." And if you guys haven't found Wim Hof yet, highly recommend everything about it because you know that breath work really it like it gets in deep to emotional states that you did not even know you were holding on to. Um, So here we are. I started teaching meditation. It's been six months uh, for Alchemist Kitchen in uh, New York and being able to have my own practice and still be able to teach people that, meditation is necessary some people are like well how do you do it i I can't just sit down and do nothing you know that's that's part of the problem the more you you feed yourself that you can't do it the worse off you'll be so i don't even remember the question that you asked me to be honest
1: no i think i think you've answered it perfectly like you've explained exactly where meditation comes from i mean the thing for for the for me and i think for many of the listeners is how do you go from working in an industry where you are constantly up against it you've got thoughts always racing through your head what's next what do i need to do how else can i do this you know and as you say like what about that person what about this and also, you're working long hours to going to a complete stop and letting all those thoughts and feelings pass through you, just like uh, like they're almost detached. How 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 does someone do that? <laughs> honestly, it, it's
0: like a muscle. It truly is like a muscle. A lot, a lot of practice. Um, yeah. If honestly, I. I I have no other way of explaining it. It literally is just practice. Being able to, you start super small. I started five minutes every day. Um, I also found journaling helped a lot too. And being able to, anything that came up, any of those emotions that came up that I was holding on onto, um, but didn't know was there, just, it's like putting it, putting it on something else, like a piece of paper, gets it out of you. Um, and I started to realize when you allow those thoughts to ricochet all over your body, like you start to worry, and, and it just compounds, it compounds, it compounds, which turns into a panic attack. I mean, I've had a panic attack on a subway train going into New York just because there were a lot of people around me. <laughs> you know, it, it you start to think too much and you start to worry too much because that fear kicks your fight or flight into gear. And you either need to get out of it or move into it. And I found that moving into it is much safer for me than running away from it. If you run away from it, it's just going to keep following you until you learn how to be with it.
1: Massively say. I had my first, I'm not going to call it a panic attack because I don't think it was, you know, I, I, I had an anxiety attack of some sorts a couple of weeks ago for the first time in my life. And, um, I personally feel that I'm probably the mentally healthiest that I've ever been, but also I am a constant state of perpetual burnout because I'm always wanting, it's just me. So I'm always working long hours. I'm working for the benefit of other people. So I'm always giving, but I'm not taking time for myself, always learning, always listening to new things, whether it's about marketing or mental health. And it all accommodated into a stage where I was sat in the office and all of a sudden the walls started to close in on me. Like it physically felt like the walls were shutting in and my heart was going through and I suddenly thought there was no way out. There was, everything was starting to squash me. But with that, I sort of started to lean into the feeling because I recognized what was happening and so I looked at my watch and looked at how many beats per minute my heart had gone up to. It's like 101, 102 beats per minute. And I was like, "Oh Christ, I'm having a, I'm having a panic attack here. Or I'm having a, a, like an attack of anxiety." Yeah. And then with that, it almost distracted me from thinking about everything that I was getting on top of me before because I was like, it was almost like in a weird way that anxiety attack was a form of mindfulness because mm-hmm. you're you're suddenly leaning into it and going, "Oh, that's interesting. Why am I suddenly sweating so much?" Why do I feel like i'm I'm about to get attacked by something and then by the time you you sort of you 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 know you've managed that and your heart rate comes down and your breathing starts to regulate again you kind of um you kind of come out with with a, perhaps a little bit of a, a lighter view than you went into the attack in the first place
0: yeah absolutely yeah I, I I wholeheartedly agree with you <laughs> being having that kind of awareness to your bodily responses or your mind response to that anxiety is is important it really is important because how how else would you ask the question of yourself why why how did i get here why is this happening why where is this coming from is it even mine you know what i mean mm-hmm. like it's it's a hard it's hard to get there but it's so great when you do.
1: <laughs> it's that internal monologue. It's almost taking control back over your brain again, isn't it? Because you know, rumination is something where, <clears throat> you know, I think with a lot of mental illnesses, you start thinking about things too much. You think about, you know, what if that train door opened and someone got on that, you know, started a fight? Or what if, the, you know, the train doesn't stop at my destination? Or, you know, what ifs, what ifs, what ifs? But I think what you're actually you sort of saying is, I'm not going to think about, what ifs and I'm aware that I'm thinking about what ifs so here's what I'm going to do instead and that's where the breathing and the mindfulness comes in hey yep
0: 100% the, my mantra for this year is control the controllables like if you don't have control over it there's literally nothing you can do absolutely nothing but just be in it and I think the hardest part for humans to do is let go let go of the worry, let go of the fear, let go of the what ifs, let go of, you know, where I could be. If you're so worried about what's happening in the future, that's where anxiety comes from. If you're so worried about what you did in the past, that's where depression comes from. Like, oh, I wish I could have done this, or I wish I could have done this differently. You know, it's, you start to build energy in your body, and your body remembers, you know, your subconscious is, not aware of what is real and what you're telling yourself. So for instance, if you sit and you write out a journal for 20 days, 21 days, and you're like, today I'm going to be, I'm gonna have the biggest windfall of emotional um, pain. We'll go negative first. Emotional pain. Your, you, your mind starts to trigger your own energetic response to that. So you start to build that anxiety already, right? Like, I'm worried about my shift tonight. Why? Because it's my first night as a manager. The more you push for that, the worse it's going to be because you are physically putting that energy there and it's already waiting for you if you do the reverse and it's like the night before a very long day you just journal 20 minutes and you write down adjectives as to who you want to be the next day i want to be kind i want to be loving i want to be compassionate i want to be a teacher i want to be a good teacher i want to be grounded um examples and then you write down a list of what you want want to accomplish in a scheduled format you literally are already putting a framework in for yourself to do it just do it you wake up and you're already in a, a, a headspace in a mind space of I've got this you know and being aware that you have control over your own controllables, like I said, what you eat, where you sit, the music you listen to, the the schedule that you create for yourself. If you would find yourself like, I don't have time to meditate, then put it in the schedule, 10 minutes. The 10 minutes in the 16 hours a day that you're awake is literally a drop in the water.
1: Massively so, yeah. It's interesting as well that you say about like controlling the controllables, but also residing yourself. I mean, I'm, I, as I get older and I become, I think I'm becoming less cynical. The older that I get, and I was talking to a, a friend of mine recently, and we were talking about energies, and we were talking about how the universe has a funny way of pointing you in certain directions, mm-hmm. right, and and indicating things to you. And I think that's that's where. Your gut instinct comes in. That's where your subconscious comes in. And the point that you made about journaling, you know, again, I used to think that was a load of hocus pocus up until probably middle of last year. And um, I started jotting things down. Admittedly, a lot of it was work based, you know, getting the thoughts out of my head and putting them down onto paper Um, I'm lucky at this moment in time I'm mentally quite well so I don't ruminate, I don't worry about a lot of things but I do think a lot about work, it's a distraction for me. So by writing it down meant that all of a sudden it was out of my head and what I would do is I'd write down a journal so I'd be like, "Oh, tomorrow I need to do this but then I'd also set myself a very kind target by like, I'm going to do this and it's going to look like this by this time. And as a result of that, your body subconsciously has already sort of said to yourself that you've already done it so that as a result the whole process is easier and a lot smoother the next day and you know looking at looking at energy or your subconscious or whatever it might be but you can actually program yourself in the same way that you know I tell people to write down three things that you want from life put it away in your drawer and in the evening write down three things put it away never look at what you put wrote down before never worry about what you're going to write down tomorrow, whether that is something extrinsic, like I want a bigger house or whether that's, Mm. I want to solve world hunger or I want to fly to, you know, and travel around Russia or whatever it might be, but write it down. And eventually your subconscious or the universe or whatever it might be gradually points you along that track. And it inspired me so much. I've actually, um, well, tomorrow, these mise en place muse on journals, uh custom designed some mise journals. So some journals that. To, to be able to get some people to follow the same route. So they're getting delivered uh today, which I'm very excited very about. Very cool. So yeah. but I thought, you know, I was so inspired by it and I felt that it was really, really worked for me personally that if I could give something to the hospitality industry to try it then and, and as you say, to encourage anyone to do it, it's yeah, if you think it's mumbo jumbo, yeah, try it, try it, yeah, even for yeah. a week, just try it. So you talked very briefly uh, about the Wim Hof method. I have, I'm familiar with him in respect that he's just he's an absolute like, I don't know what the correct terminology, the descriptive term is, but this is a guy who can sit in cold water for longer than most most athletes athletes can. Um, but the breath, the breath method, talk to me a little bit about that. I'm I'm intrigued. I mean, so
0: your lungs are one of the only organs in your body that creates DMT, which is technically the God molecule. And that literally connects you to the simplicity, like putting it in a simple way, like whatever is out there, The, the universe, spirit, God, whatever you want to call it. And with that breath work, you're literally, um, so you're, you're breathing in to your fullest capacity breathing out halfway and then you're breathing that like halfway to in halfway to in so you're basically flooding your entire body with oxygen right um and you're you're practicing how to retain that oxygen while releasing your entire breath and holding it for as long as you possibly can, if that makes sense. So you go for probably about 30 or 40 breaths, you release all the oxygen, or you release all of the uh, your breath, you hold it, you're holding, you're holding, and you're training your brain to deal, and your nervous system to deal with fear of not having oxygen. And then you take that same breath, you get into cold water and you're literally able to control your presence, your, your being under ice cold water. <clears throat> you know, he, he goes into rivers and lakes and all that kind of stuff. I, I use the shower, of course, here in the city. And, um, you know, you you build on that. And I find that it truly helps move past any, if you could get through that in the morning, anything that happens during the day does not matter. It doesn't matter. Like you're you're sitting under ice cold water for two minutes, say. It's kind of painful. I'm not going to lie to start, but you know you gradually get better and better and better at it. But you're also retraining your nervous system to deal with that the the unknown, the fear, the that whatever comes up, and it's it's just fascinating to see how your body holds on to stuff like stuff from when you're a kid and those memories come up and i believe that whenever memories come up you're ready to deal with them you know i mean it could be from childhood it could be from work yesterday like oh well I, well I forgot to give that person their ginger ale i hope they're okay <laughs> you know what i mean so um I highly, highly recommend it. It's, it's a really incredible practice. He's a really, he's a, he's a very interesting person too. You know, he's, his life story, um, is a whole podcast in itself. So highly, highly recommend it. His book's great too.
1: I was born today. I'll have, a, I'll, I'll spend a little bit more time because I, 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 have started cold showering in the morning. Um, unfortunately mm-hmm. the shower only goes cold if you're the first person to it, even when it's turned down okay. cold, if you're the first person and it will only last about 20 seconds but mm. what i found incredible about that process was the first time you get in it you lose your breath you can't control it you're panicking yeah. everything's going and then it gradually like it starts to warm up or you step out right but after about the fourth fifth sixth seventh time you realize that you become more aware of your breathing and so like mm-hmm. you'll breathe out fully before you step under and then that first breath in it almost gives you that extra st- extra millisecond to think about what's happening and that sense of accomplishment not only from getting getting firstly past the threshold into the cold environment but then also knowing that you can handle that cold environment does help build build a sense of resilience i think for the day moving forward no matter how big or small that event may actually be
0: yeah 100% i couldn't agree with you anymore it really it really opens up everything your lungs your mind your body, your 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 awareness of your body, the mindfulness that you have. It's it's really amazing. And I, I also feel that you even have more compassion for yourself because you're putting yourself through that. And also you're taking control. Yep. Control the controllables. <laughs> control the
1: controllables yeah definitely it's something that perhaps you wouldn't have done otherwise i had toyed with the idea of getting a wheelie bin and filling it full of ice cold water and doing it every day but um i want to i've committed to doing it i just thought of having a wheelie bin full of water out the back it just seems a little bit irresponsible <laughs> when the world. Yeah, I, I
0: totally 100 percent. i think you should just dive into it you know if you he has an app too. If you if you get his app, there's a is a great practice on there too that actually
1: helps you through all that. Cool. On it. On it. Definitely. Thank (laughs) you very much. So in terms of sort of advice for those who are looking to pursue, you know, if say for example, everyone out there is anyone out there is not familiar with meditation or even where to begin, or, you know, this all sounds like a little bit too much. What are the first sort of steps into or you know techniques that people can use to be able to meditate or to bring about a sense of mindfulness yeah absolutely you know your
0: the big one the biggest free one is go on a hike go into nature when you're in nature your your awareness your mindfulness automatically brings you into your present state and everything is just kind of washed away um it's a it's a great practice to just even if you have to if you go to the park you know we I live by Prospect Park in Brooklyn and it is the best park in my opinion but it's beautiful of course there's going to be other people around but that's fine you know you can you walk through you you um, as long as you're aware and you're enjoying you're looking up looking at the sky instead of looking down on your phone put your phone or don't even take your phone with you. You know, bird watching. Bird watching could be a thing, or find find a um, like a little waterfall or a stream that you can just kind of hang by and, and admiring admiring what nature is without without trying to judge what is happening in it. Um, that's really how it started for me too. Like I I, I love I love going on hikes. It's it's a beautiful thing. Um, if you don't have access to that, you know, find you can download apps like Headspace or Insight Timer, where people are are actually helping and creating content to to um, help you guide or help provide guided meditations for you, um, or find a teacher. You know, find somebody you connect with. Um, yoga, like I said, is a great place to start. It's a it's a great space where you can bring your awareness into your body while still being able to um be mindful of what's happening you know you're again control the controllable so you're in that you're in your yoga poses you're the don't worry about what you look like because it doesn't matter everybody's got to start somewhere um it's not a race it's not a competition even though that's kind of what the hospitality industry has been led to be it's not you know, as long as you're doing it for the right reasons for yourself, for the other people to provide the experience, it's the same thing for yourself. How do you want to live this life? How do you want to, um, make this the best life that you possibly can? Because that's you, that's your choices that make it, it's your, it's your choices that, um, build on your foundation. And if you have the foundation of, um, discipline, you know, discipline is definitely a thing and, and being able to make the time. You have to make the time.
1: Yeah, and it goes back to what you are saying about journaling. You know, if you are struggling for time, I had a notification on my phone today to say I spent 36 and a half hours with my screen on last week, mm-hmm. a whole week. Wow. So if you ever don't think that you have time, put your phone down, mm-hmm. journal it, make sure that it's in on a diary or on a journal, and have some discipline to be able to do to be able to do that, and then also, for, weirdly enough, you get a sense of achievement from it anyway. So yeah. it's, it's a catalyst. It's just exactly. that first, first step, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I think part of the part of the major issue that I've experienced through my meditation and through teaching is that people expect it to just happen, and that comes from the Instagram age of the dopamine cycle of like, oh, I got a like. There's that dopamine cycle. Ooh, that endless scroll you know to be able to live a lifestyle where you you're rewarded in a in a a longer period of time that's kind of it's not really here anymore because it's we're not present for it there's so many other things that are happening around us that provide that dopamine access but when you like the big ones the true ones of like i just meditated for 10 minutes and i was able to sit there just sit. You don't even have to worry about the thoughts that come. Just sit it is incredibly important because who can say, how many people can say, I just sat alone with myself, with my thoughts, with my emotions for 10 minutes. Not many people can say that, to be honest.
1: No, I'm completely with you. <laughs> 100%. There's, um, there's a, a a chap, Dr. Lovelace uh, who is, I think he's based in DC. He, I work with him on on a few bits on building training, et cetera, and he gave me the self-actualization test fairly recently. And it's something I've spoken about on this podcast before, but on the self-actualization test, it came out that I was quite assertive and I was driven and all this other sort of stuff. But he said one of the biggest weaknesses that came out was solitude. And I said, what are you talking about, solitude? I sit in an office all day on my own. He's like, yeah, but when was the last time you sat with yourself, like actually sat with yourself? without any headphones in, without a phone, without any distractions of any kind. And I was like, shit, I can't remember. I genuinely yeah. can't remember. And that's so powerful. We've become a culture that just thrives on distractions and running away from our own selves. Yeah. But unless you're comfortable with yourself, you can't be comfortable with, with life, really. Yeah. Um, and it's something we should all, and you know, it's, it's a practice. We should all sort of make the make an attempt or make the steps to be able to get to know ourselves so that we can be leading more fulfilling and, and hopefully happier lives. Yeah, hundred percent. The whole point is just to live happy and free
0: and we got to do it for ourselves. Nobody else is going to give it to us.
1: Well said, sir. The final question um, that I have for you, which I ask all of my guests is if you could give advice to a 16 year old version of yourself, what would it be?
0: Don't worry about what anybody else is thinking or saying, because you are who you are. You're in your own unique space. And 20 years from now, it's going to be even better than you've ever imagined.
1: Nice. And on that note, Eric, I'll draw this to a close. If, uh, if anyone wanted to find you specifically, is there any way of sort of contacting you? absolutely you can i mean i'm on
0: instagram i am eric love um i also teach at alchemist kitchen in new york um as well as i also have a website earthboundmedicine.org and you can find me there
1: eric thank you ever so much for joining me of course
0: thank you chris i really appreciate it
1: cheers my friend take care Cheers. i really hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the burn chef journal If you wanted to learn more about The Burnt Chef Project, head over to our website www.theburntchefproject.com where you'll find a whole host of resources and information relating to well-being and mental health within hospitality. Whilst you're there, why not visit our shop and support us by purchasing some branded merchandise, which we then use the profits to fund our ongoing work in destigmatising mental health within the hospitality industry. Thanks again for joining us and we'll see you again next week.